When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps, and today with me I have Drew, and he is the host of Missing the Point podcast. And I've met him in a few Telegram groups. Um, I had a some difficulties going on, and he reached out, and he offered this really unique perspective. And I'm really glad to have him on, and that I did not mess up the time zone on this in the time because he is in Australia, and it is what 9 a.m. Saturday there, right? It is, yeah, nine o'clock okay. in the morning. So it's five o'clock Friday for me, and I was paranoid I was going to mess this up to no end. So I'm so thankful that I didn't. So I'm glad we made this work. <laughs> no, we, we figured it out. We did it. So how are you doing today? Yeah, good. Um, first weekend back before starting back at school and four weeks teaching next week. The term officially starts. And yeah, just having a little bit of break before we go back to the school term. So was this like a holiday break, winter break? like? Because tip- it's our sum, it's our summer holiday. So the end of the school year is in summer. So we break for Christmas and we have six weeks off. Okay, okay. Yeah. And then, so you only have a six week summer break, and then you go back. Then we go back, and in between each of our school terms, we have two week breaks in between as well. So in okay. at ten weeks time, we'll have two weeks off again. Then go back for another eleven weeks, two weeks off, and and it okay. kind of flows like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Very different than the U.S. I'm trying to like wrap my head around this, but <laughs> your school system also seems to flow more with a calendar year. Is that correct? So like if yeah, they end at first, okay. Cause that's not how it is in the U.S. We do super funky, like September to call it June is one grade and then they keep repeating. That so, is really weird. Yeah. That would just throw my whole idea of how old I am out and, and how old my kids are and everything like that. Well, yeah. Like if if someone, in a calendar year, it seems to fit. Like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm grade one this year. Next year, I'm going to be grade two. And Right. Yeah. So our school years go, like this year, it was the 2022, the 2023 school year. It's almost it, like a tax year, isn't it? Kind of. Kind of. That's what our tax year lines up with. Our financial year lines up with like the September type of deal like you guys, but. I don't know because our taxes are calendar year. Oh, so yeah, we do it the other way around then. We do our, our financial year runs up until like September. Oh man, there's. <laughs> so we've just flipped it. <laughs> oh, so many different things. Um, and, and I find all the differences so fascinating because in some ways, the things you do make more sense and the some ways that we do it make more sense. So maybe we should just combine all the co- make sense ones and just go with that. <laughs> It'd be a good idea. That's what I go with. Better for everyone concerned. So the only 
question I ask every guest before we get started um, is please tell me two things you love about yourself. Oh God, geez, on the spot. Um, it sounds a bit a bit woo-woo and wishy-washy, especially in this day and age, but I think I'm pretty empathetic, uh, empathetic to people. Um, I can recognise, I may not have experienced a situation that someone's going through, but I can empathise with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't sympathise with them because I haven't had that experience, but I can see when someone's yeah. on hard times or they're doing it tough. Whereas I think in this day and age, that's almost seen as, it's almost like a weakness. And there's this big movement at the moment that without even realising that people are becoming very egocentric in a negative way. Like if you see someone who's displaying weakness or vulnerability, that's on them and it's their fault and you just look after you. I think that's the biggest, um, one of the biggest issues happening within the truth of community. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people say that they're pro-freedom, pro-free choice, pro-supporting um, the little person, but when you actually see people who are doing it tough, sometimes it can take a negative lens on it. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm quite empathetic. I think that helps out in my, in my profession as a teacher as well. I seem to always be that teacher who notices the, the kids who are doing it tough, the little, little, little Aussie battlers, as we call them, the children who are from low socioeconomic families. And I can't help but feel for those kids. And I tend to build really good relationships with them. So that's probably my second part about myself. Um, I, I don't think it really matters who it is. I can really, I can build strong relationships with people quickly just because I'm so genuine. What grade do you teach? I teach art this year and last okay. year. So I teach all year levels in my okay. school. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is your school broken up? So like in the US, we have like elementary, like K through five and then middle six to eight and then like high school, nine to 12. Uh, I teach in primary school. So primary school is prep. So it's the year after kinder. So it's like preparing you for school Okay. Um, all the way through to year six. So, and then okay. high school starts after that. Yeah. Okay. That. I'm going to get confused at some <laughs> point. With it, It's so funny how we're both speaking English. But, but there's so many differences, right? There's so many differences. So many differences. It shows the foreign aspect that there still is, even though we're speaking English. Yeah. Yeah. So I know one of the things that we had uh, connected on was the COVID vaccine. And in the US, while it was mandated for certain professions um, and certain companies, you could leave and find another job if that's what you really wanted, if you were really dead sent that you did not want something. In Australia, that doesn't sound like that was the case. Um, yeah, absolutely. Especially in my case, um, Victoria, which is, as a lot of people in my country would know, had the hardest restrictions, mandates, lockdowns, the most totalitarian New World Order type of stuff rolled out, was all in my home state. Um, <clears throat> so... Like you said, in America, there was options where in some places you could get religious exemptions. Religious exemptions did not exist here. We were okay. not recognised. Medical exemptions were pretty much wiped off the plate. You had to have very extreme reactions to the first vaccine to not have it ever again. And even okay. in that case, they kind of pushed people to have it. My state was just in a whole different league compared to the rest of the country. Um, in a lot of other states, it was mandated for your, for your standard professions like teaching, uh, medical personnel, mm-hmm. um, police, all that type of stuff, which I'd see in a lot of places in America as well. Yep, yep. Um, in my state, they rolled it out to anyone who had a job, essentially. 
it got to the point where they really pushed the fear and the numbers and the case counts was going through the roof and they started targeting specific um, careers and, and certain jobs. So they would justify, for example, um, at one point only authorised workers could leave the house and go and work. And one of those authorised worker roles was building construction to keep the state going. Mm-hmm. And because they were out and about, they were interacting with each other, of course they're going to get sick and get the virus if if they're around each other. Right. And because the case statistics showed that builders and construction workers were the people catching it, the government just flipped the lid and said, all right, we're mandating every single construction worker in the state, you have to have it. So, like, in the U.S., construction unless you have a federal contract, is a private business. So the business could decide whether or not they were mandating it. So the idea that um, a government could mandate it for a specific profession when it's a private business is a very foreign concept to Americans. Yeah, well, in Australia, they they rolled out a... It wasn't a law, it was a specific mandate, and then it wasn't even like a legislation, so to speak, but... It was a blanket rule to where the government at the time under emergency powers could do whatever they wanted. So they could go and specifically target any individual profession so that they could, so they could circumvent um, private companies and all that type of stuff. Well, I know uh, in the U.S. They, they did something similar with mandates, but the common thing in the U.S. was mandates weren't laws. They, they weren't passed through legislation, like you said. Uh, people didn't vote on them. Um, so that's why many people didn't feel that they were justified or legal and things like that. Um, so in Australia, is the is a mandate the same thing as a law? No, a mandate, it's the same thing as what you've got. It's not considered a law. It's not considered legislation. But because it was put through at a time of emergency powers, a pandemic act, mm-hmm. essentially it was a law without being a law. This created a lot of gray areas where a lot of people like myself tried to push back. Um, I myself, I retained a lawyer and tried to push back through all the legal avenues. I followed Supreme Court cases, um, was very close to jumping on board a Supreme Court case just prior to one failing in our courts. But every single legal challenge that was put forward was knocked back under this, the idea of uh, it's almost like a a social contract that you have to do it because it's for the betterment of everyone else around you. And the judges were very much on board with what the government was dictating. So there wasn't any kind of legal avenue you could take, even if you wanted to. I remember hearing on one of the podcasts that you were talking about, um, because you were forced to get it, that every time you would go, you would say, I would say I'm under duress, right? That's what you would say. I did. Yeah. Did can you tell share about that for my listeners who didn't hear that podcast? Yeah, sure. So I'll have to go back a bit. I knew that the mandates were coming pretty early on. I could see, I saw what was happening in China. I saw the lockdowns starting to happen there. And at that point, I was probably like a lot of other people thought, oh, shit, there's actually something coming out of China. And when things weren't being handled internationally in a way that you would think would stop a global pandemic, like the planes weren't stopped straight away, intakes from China weren't stopped, they were kind of allowing it to happen. And then the media pumping the fear porn every day, kill counts, it just did, wasn't sitting well with me and my gut. And like a, a lot of other people, I started researching and looking into it 
and alarm bells started ringing like, okay, they're going to get a vaccine out very quickly, air quotes vaccine, mm-hmm. and they're going to force it on everyone. It's going to, that's what's going to happen. It's, well, they're locking us down in houses for Christ's sakes. What's the only way we're going to get out of our houses if we take something they give us? So right. I knew it was coming. So for the, for, I had a good eight to six to eight months beforehand where I knew it was coming and I was researching. I thought, well, what do I need to do if I do have to take it? Like I said, I looked through all those legal avenues. But in the back of my mind, I kind of knew there wasn't going to be a way to avoid it, especially with our little socialist dictator in control of our state. So I started to look at ways, how could I try and boost my my immune system to put me in a good position where even if I do have to take it, hopefully it lessens the severity of whatever they give me or Mm -hmm. the impacts of what it could do to me. So I went through a full cleansing regime of my body, exercise every day, which I normally did anyway, really pumped up clean, healthy foods, clean drinking water, started um, a supplement and NAC regiment before even getting on board with it. And then it got to the point where they started mandating specific jobs and teachers were one of the very last ones to come in. And I discussed with my wife, what are we going to do? Like, I really don't want this. And I explained to her what I think was coming out of it and tried to show her the evidence that I saw. She wasn't very on board with it. She could see how upset I was about it and didn't want it. But to my wife as a teacher who'd worked her whole life to build a career, she didn't want to lose it. And that caused issues in our relationship as well. She didn't want to lose her career. She didn't want me to lose mine. She didn't want me out of a job. She didn't want us to be under financial stress. So there's all those things compounding at that time that were that were weighing on me. And that was probably like for your show, was was the biggest speed bump of my life. Like I'm really happy to say that I've had a, a really privileged life up until that point. I grew up in a an upper middle class family where my parents weren't rich, they weren't poor, they worked hard, they provided what they could for us kids. I grew up, I went through the Air Force, I've worked multiple careers, I've enjoyed my life immensely and I got to that point and that was by far the hardest challenge I've ever had to face. So all these things have happened in my life that were quite good up until this point and it got to the point where teachers were mandated and I thought, you know what, that's it, I'm not going to teach again. Um, I, we're lucky enough that my father-in-law is a, a beef farmer on a 600-acre farm. Maybe we can organise something where I don't have to take it or we don't have to take it and we work off the farm. Mm-hmm. Within a week of that, us making that decision and, and going, okay, maybe we can do this, our state premier brought in a, a blanket ban on anyone with a job, uh, a mandate on anyone with a job rather. So anyone who was deemed an essential worker, which is anyone who was working at that point, had to go out and get it. Wow. So, so, so we so, couldn't even go to our own property and live off, off the grid, essentially. We had to do it anyway. So you couldn't even like leave your house to go to your father-in-law's to do this? No. If I wanted to farm in this state, I would have had to have been vaccinated anyway. So legitimate question. How would they know if you up and left your house and just went and lived with your father-in-law and he didn't pay you? Like, So in the U.S., there's people, they call it working under the table, where they just get paid cash. It's not reported to the IRS um, and things like that. Like, was that ever an option? Or that doesn't exist in Australia. Like, I I don't know. We've got a pretty tight tax system and 
they know pretty quickly if, especially if someone who's come from a government job like myself working for the state government, I have a, a really long record and um, file system of being taxed by the state to suddenly drop off and then have no income whatsoever. Um, our tax agents and and alike and federal tax system, they can access your bank accounts to see money going in. Um, even if it was like cash under the table type of a deal, it, it it's, becomes quite hard to hide. Our, our tax agents, they, they track people down, especially when it comes to stuff like um, government assistance, which we call Centrelink, people who brought the system there. Some people get away with it, other people get hauled across the coals. So to be honest, there was that much going on at that point. I didn't even think about just working, having working under the table. I felt at that time that, oh, shit, he's mandated everyone. All yeah. the people who aren't essential workers are being mandated by their companies. So it was a double-edged sword that, okay, I could leave teaching and I could go into one of these non-essential worker jobs, but hang on, all the companies have it as a prerequisite to work for them now. So I couldn't even go into a retail position anymore. That That's wild. I know a lot of companies in the U.S. Um, mandated it. And there were some people that if there were larger companies, um, you know, they just got fired if they refused. If it was a smaller company, I know a few people that uh, just refused to do it. They didn't make a big deal out of it. They just refused to do it. And because the company couldn't afford to lose them, they just kind of went, okay, fine, and ignored it. But I don't know. I'm call it U.S. privilege, American privilege. I I, I don't know, not to sound like a liberal, but some of the stuff that you're describing just, it blows my mind that they could, this government could just decide this. And the fact that, like, I can't imagine the IRS tapping into our bank accounts to see if we deposited, you know, large amounts of money. Although with this supposedly, supposedly now, if you get more than $600 in like a Venmo PayPal account, um, you can be audited because they then have to report it to the IRS. So I don't think we're too far from that, but damn, that's crazy. Yeah, we're, um, I say it a lot of my podcasts, we're a nation who are ancestors or descendants of convicts and their jailers. So we're very good rule followers and rule givers. So much to the extent that I don't know what the vaccine uptake was in the States overall. Was it something like 60-40 or um, 70-30%? I, I think it really depends on the state that you were in and um, if you believe the numbers. Yeah. So places like Florida, they didn't mandate it like widely, you know, maybe some companies did. So I would imagine that it was lower there, but places like New York and California that you couldn't get into a restaurant even for takeout mm-hmm. without a vaccine card. Um, I'm, I'm guessing it was much, much higher. If I had to throw educated guess out there, which is purely a guess, I'm, I'm going to guess maybe 60, 40. Yeah. That's what I would assume it'd be because America had, you had options of States to go to as well. We didn't have the option of going to another state that didn't have mandates. We didn't have a Florida, um, or a Miami. We, it was just didn't have that option of a city to go to. So, yeah, that would make sense, like 60-40. For an example, my state has a 99% vaccine rate. 
In adults or kids too? Uh, all across. That's across the entire population is 99% vaccinated. So that's at least one dose. So there are a lot of people out who out there who went out and got one dose and said, I'm not doing another one. But it's 99% in my state. With children being the lowest vaccinated, but still a high, high number of kids have vaccinated. So much to the point where government schools had vaccination buses come in and vaccinate kids under parents' choice. So I know they tried, not tried, I know they did that in my state where it wasn't during the school day, but it was like conveniently right at the end of school where you could take your kid um, and you could also get them caught up on all the quote unquote traditional ones. Mm -hmm. So that reminds me of a question. You mentioned there's no religious exemptions or medical exemptions. Um, So I'm assuming there's no philosophical exemptions either than in Australia. Definitely not. Okay. So we'll shut up and do it. (laughs) Do you have to have a certain number or certain amount of vaccines as a child to attend a government school? Uh, It's, for government schools, this is the legal loophole a lot of people argue about, but I know because I taught both as a kindergarten teacher and a primary school teacher. In kindergarten and long daycare, you have to have up-to-date schedule of vaccines to attend. Okay. Primary school does not exist. They can ask for it, but you do not need to provide it. Okay. So a lot of people fall under the, oh, to get them into school, we have to get them vaccinated anyway. They fall into that trap. You absolutely do not have to have an up-to-date vaccine schedule to make your to have your kids attend the government school. That's a carry-on from early childhood, kinder, long daycare type of an area, which legislates itself. Okay. And so, and then there's no like additional requirements like for middle or high school or anything like that, right? Uh, there's not. They they offer them. Like I can remember in high school having to get um like the what was it called? The one they started rolling out to boys for some reason that just Gardasil or like the HPV vaccine. H- HPV that was yeah. being rolled out to guys in high school when I was there. Um, tetanus shots, all those types of things mm-hmm. they are offered. And again, in high school, they send notes out to parents and hey, these shots are happening on these days. Do you give permission? Blah blah blah. So the reason I asked that is it's similar, but not in the US, at least in. I'm going to do the whole U.S. There's, mm-hmm. I think, eight states in the U.S. that don't allow religious exemptions anymore. Um, where I'm at, unfortunately, is one of them. But, like, daycare, kindergarten is a certain amount. And then they don't, there's not, like, an update until, I think it's middle school of some sort. Mm-hmm. And depending upon the state, it's not required. The way they get around that, in my opinion, is a lot of schools will require physical after a certain point to make sure that the kid can play gym. So in that physical, go ahead. That's interesting because that would be illegal here. Like even to as like a sports teacher, like one of my team members, because we're specialist teachers, we teach all those fun classes, right? Yeah. It's actually, you cannot weigh a child and check their body weight or their BMI. No, no, no. So like they would, so the parent would have to take the child to their doctor, get a yeah, physical. That, oh God, that doesn't happen here. No. Interesting. Yeah, you have to take them for a physical. They have to then fill out a form that the school sends, and then you have to give it back to the school 
for the child to attend. And any summer camps or things like that, you're also required to have a physical in order to attend. Is this like an insurance-based thing in case something happens? I don't know. Um, But like every summer camp, every daycare, every school, and it's not every year in school. It's like kindergarten, sixth. It's like every new school, every time you transition a school is you had to get one. That is so bizarre. Yeah, it's it's almost like like my government, we're very upfront about certain things, but then what your government does or your system kind of does it on the sly, like shows you with one hand, yeah, you can attend school, but it has like you have to come over this side and do this to actually attend. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. It's uh I don't know. It's it's it makes you wonder. And if you want to do after school activities, some of them also require a physical, even if the school didn't that year. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Have you seen um I know in the States it's talked about a lot of basically these healthy adults dropping dead. Have you guys seen that in Australia or noticed an exorbitant amount, like a high death rate. I know a lot of countries are saying, oh, this is the highest death rate in X well, amount of years. Is, this is the interesting thing. And I've been talking to about it with a lot of Americans on, on like Telegram and a lot of podcasters I'm friends with. I'm not personally, I'm not seeing it to the extent that you would see overseas. Sure, we have, might have an odd celebrity or someone high profile who makes the news. But we're, we are a very high-sporting nation. And for our vaccination rate compared to the US or to other countries that are quite lower, I would expect that our died suddenly rates would be much higher. Our excess death, death rate is higher than what it normally is. Yes, absolutely. It sits somewhere between 16 and 18%, depending on um, what figures you're looking at. But it's nowhere near as high as America's 40% or the UK's 30%. And I don't know whether that's entirely based on which vaccines were rolled out to which countries. I know America was predominantly Moderna and Pfizer. Australia was predominantly, for the longest time, AstraZeneca and then Pfizer. The UK is a mix of AstraZeneca for the very elderly and Pfizer for the young. So I can I have a feeling that it's there's something going on more with the mRNA opposed to the RNA, which AstraZeneca or the Johnson and Johnson have. Okay. That's just my gut feeling. I personally don't know anyone who's dropped dead. Mm-hmm. I haven't known of a person's real person who's dropped dead like that. And I'm not seeing it in the numbers that like we're seeing out of the States of the stories popping up all the time. That's interesting. As I don't know necessarily people who are, dying suddenly however the increase of people that i know that are having heart attacks and developing cancer are or um going you know redeveloping cancer they're those are high and those are personal so you know i i don't know you hope it's not but at this point um because correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation Mm -hmm. but at this point what else could it be right yeah, well, I think that's definitely right with the heart-related issues. Like even according to air quotes, their own data, there's the risk side effect of myocarditis, pericarditis, inflammation of the heart. 
that's based down to their science of the body produces the spike protein initially and that spike, spike protein can bond to the surface of the heart, which causes inflammation. They're still not admitting that the body potentially could be producing spike proteins forever, not just within that 24 to 48-hour window, which they tried to sell to people. If it is producing spike proteins all the time, you can see why people are suddenly having heart attacks and heart-related issues. Right. Have like you... My, Go ahead. My state supposedly had an increase of 10,621 um, related heart incidents. And they were very quick in the media to say it has nothing to do with the, the vaccine and specifically naming Pfizer as a very safe vaccine because in the past 12 months, AstraZeneca has been removed from the vaccines um, list as a vaccine you can have. They don't give it to anyone. And I'm, this is coming back to the question you asked before, which sorry, I didn't answer. The vaccines that my wife and I were coerced to take, we took AstraZeneca um, purely based off I didn't want mRNA. I know RNA has been used in the past in other vaccines before. Um, for me, it was like picking a poison, right, and yeah. really had to pick the lesser of three evils. So we went with that. I went in for my first vaccine, like you said, Every time they asked for my consent, I said, I'm being, um, I, I can't do this. Um, I'm being coerced. Um, I, can't, I can't give you permission. They would keep asking. I'm, and I went to, I'm under duress. I cannot give um, full consent under duress. I pointed out our Therapeutics Goods Association guidelines for vaccination, which said vaccines cannot be administered under coercion. I explained to the nurse that my job, my livelihood, my mortgage, everything is under threat. This is financial coercion. It's social coercion under peer pressure. This nurse ended up being in tears because at that point I was very angry and being a bit of an asshole about it. She left, left in tears. Had another nurse came in who pretty much said, okay, you're not giving me your consent, but you're telling me I can give it to you and said, I'm not giving you my consent. I'm under duress. And she said, okay, but you're going to have it, aren't you? And I said, yep. She gave it to me. I had no reactions from the vaccine, wasn't groggy, no sore arms, no body aches, nothing. Um, my regiment was quite high at that time. Uh, went in for my second shot, which AstraZeneca was supposed to only be two and no boosters. Went in for my second one. At this point, AstraZeneca was having links with um, blood clots because people weren't aspirating the needles, which is basic practice. I could do it myself. I was a, a medicist in the Air Force. So I was really questioning why nurses and pediatricians weren't actually aspirating needles. I sat down, I gave the spiel again. This is, uh, it's morally irrehensible to be forcing this onto people. Bit more polite this time, of course, after the last reaction. And I finished with, could you please make sure that you aspirate the needle for me? Because I've noticed there's been a high increase of blood clots with AstraZeneca post-vaccine. Oh, I don't know how to do that. I've never been trained to aspirate. I've gone, okay, well, all you do is you plant the needle in, you draw out to make sure you haven't hit a blood vessel, and then if you haven't, you inject. And this young girl, very nervous, she put the needle in my arm, pulled back, said, oh, see, there's no blood there, immediately removed the needle from my arm and threw it in the bin without injecting the substance. I mean, that's a win for you. That uh, is a win. It's uh, I know in the U.S. they were... They were like having pharmacists, which regularly give vaccines, but then they were basically hiring people, which sounds like what you described of with very little training to administer these things. 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of these people were like trainee nurses or trainee um, pharmacists that had only been like the first year of university. Yeah, I know at one point, um, certain year interns in medical school were being given a full license to be a doctor because they were short staffed. Um, I don't remember how long that lasted, but I remember hearing about that. And so many things about when the world went crazy is makes you wonder and yeah, seeing, absolutely. but you, I, as a, an American, I would hear these stories from Australia, you know, and sometimes you would wonder if they were real, just like, you know, when people were supposedly dropping dead in China, you have to wonder, cause you're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know at one point, supposedly there was like protests in Australia did, were they bigger than what the, our news said? Like They were massive. We got to the point where we had over 100,000 people marching through the streets of Melbourne, our capital city in Victoria, and got very little screen time. The media, the police spun it very, very well that these people were far-right extremists. They were Nazis. Um, they were dangerous. They don't care about people's health. All those usual tropes. It got to the point where, and this was back when they mandated the construction workers, these these guys, these rough and tough tumble type of dudes didn't want these vaccines. So they protested out the front of their union headquarters looking for the union for help. Like the union's supposed to be there for all the right. workers. They have a saying, touch one, touch all. Whatever you do to one worker, you're doing to all workers, so you have to help us out. The union backpedaled really quickly and backed the government on that. So much to the point where they smashed down the union headquarters. There were standoffs with riot police. We had rapid response terrorist, anti-terrorist police come out in their full SWAT gear, pump action shotguns, uh, everything. It even got to the point where protests were going on in Canberra, our capital for the, the whole country, and the government busted out LRADs, which are the microwave dispersion units for, for crowds. And we were getting footage of people absolutely horrifically burnt faces backs arms they were trying to disperse crowds any way they could it got to the point where even in my own state the media was banned from flying media helicopters over the protests out of the fear that it would persuade other people to go out and join them party me is and speechless if was, and if it wasn't for people in the truth the community or the alternative media live streaming on their phones in these protests the state wouldn't have had any idea what was going on. And it's very obvious the people who watched the news and saw the, the media's perception of what these people were versus people who actually watched the live streams. I feel like that happened um, with the trucker convoy in Canada. Mm-hmm. I feel like that happened uh, at the, cap- the US Capitol um, where if you were watch the live streams and you talk to people who were there, you got a very different story than the quote-unquote official narrative. Very much so. It's like night and day, the differences between the two. I almost, like, part of me wonders, because Canada did this huge trucker rally, and it seemed to be very effective until Canada started seizing bank accounts. And it makes me wonder, I know there was a movement at one point to try and do something similar in the U.S. And it it 
didn't come to fruition that I'm aware of, um, at least not to the scale that it did in Canada. I, I wonder what the state of the world would be if Americans had done that. If America had followed the path of what Victoria did, in particular, but Australia in general, I'd say all bets are off. The world would be a completely different place. It wouldn't be world ending, but it wouldn't be the same world we know. Why do you think that America didn't? America is built on a foundation of fighting against tyranny for personal freedoms. And this is what I love about Americans, but at the same time can also be to their detriment as well in a small way. You're, bought, you're built on this idea of fighting against tyranny and you've got this intrinsic sense of freedom coming first and doing whatever you can to make sure those freedoms aren't taken away. Absolutely love that. But in some ways, that's what can blind you to what's going on. Like the whole MAGA... Q movement, that was a perfect example of how that sense of patriotism and love for nation, love for country was co-opted. And those people, they were played very well. So much to the point, I think that's going to be detrimental to American freedoms long-term. Like you can see what's happening with January 6th stuff. They're really ramping up in the States. Domestic terrorists, um, right-wing extremists. It's going to get to the point long-term and I've said this to other people before, where I can see America either becoming balkanized or having a civil war. I think a civil war is too big picture, but balkanization is very possible. It's not at all um, unfeasible that you could have the likes of California be its own republic, New York being its own. Yeah, and, and I know. Free- and freedom states being freedom states. And this is what makes me very cautious about DeSantis, his ties with the World Economic Forum and where he gets his funding from. I have real concerns for people who live in Florida as that's going to be the pigeonhole. Everyone's going to go there. It's going to be all hunky-dory and fine. And then something's going to happen and you're all trapped. So I actually have an aunt and uncle who live in Florida and my parents and my sister now live in Florida. And I, I brought this up to them. Like this guy seems too good to be true. Like, what are you going to do if, you know, what we just talked about and they're like, Oh, that won't happen. Or, Oh, we'll get out in time. And I'm like, Okay, and where are you going to go? Because uh, Connecticut, we're just as bad as New York. So, like, wh- where are you going to go? And it's – so in the – and I've thought about this because New England, you have to go through New York to get to the rest of the states. And when things first started going crazy, New York had – police at the border and they were checking license plates so you couldn't get out if you wanted to because you had to go through new york unless you happen to know some weird back route and or went through canada and canada was a crapshoot too so new england is cut off if new york decides to be even more tyrannical you know florida's an island michigan or sorry florida's an island florida's a peninsula michigan's a peninsula um Certain states can be cut off super easy. And I think we're very naive to think that uh, that it won't happen. Yeah. And then you have to think about what do those states actually have to make sure that you can function and live your life comfortably, comfortably. There's so many things that have been outsourced to third world nations now, manufacturing, yeah. construction, everything is nearly overseas. Yes. 
So if your state is either shut down again for whatever reason or if it becomes its own independent nation state and it becomes very centralised, will it have the resources and the ability to actually operate? That's what you have to think about as well. Yeah, and, you know, there's certain... So, like, upstate New York would probably secede or separate or whatever term you want to use from like New York City and Long Island and that because they're completely different completely different ideologically. And the city would be screwed because it's a concrete jungle, whereas upstate New York would probably be fine. You know, um yeah, not saying it would be easy, but it could be doable. Yeah, and that's kind of the the issue that you run into, I think, anywhere in the Western world. It's your capital cities or your major cities tend to be very left-leaning and the outlying areas of a state tend to always be conservative or traditional. Yeah. And we're kind of falling into a trap now of America's uh, war of independence was all about taxation without representation. Well, now it's becoming governance without representation. We're allowing people with a completely different worldview, a completely different idea of how we should live our lives, dictate what we should do through their political avenues and they have the control they have the control through sheer numbers of a a capital city and they're dictating the broader state or the broader area to do what they say for me that's pretty much the same story like how long can people who want to live traditionally or live a different way keep being told what to do by people living in their ivory towers well i saw a thing almost probably almost a year ago now where the northern part of California wanted to basically secede and become, I think, a part of Idaho. I'm mm-hmm. remembering my map right. Um, and that would have messed up um, the electoral votes to mm-hmm. for, for president. And it would have changed so many different things. Um, cause then also a part of the lower part of Washington wanted to do the same thing. I think it was so things like this have been talked about. They've been put into resolutions, um, but nothing has happened yet. And I agree. It's probably much more likely that these different nation states, I guess we'll call them would be formed. However, I don't see that happening, unfortunately, without some type of great civil unrest or civil war. Yeah, I think it would be, it would probably never be labelled as a civil war. It would probably be labelled as um, domestic terrorists, extremists, insurgents, whatever. Like we saw during George Floyd, a lot could happen. It depends who won. It it depends who wins. Yeah, yeah. And even if it's like a state of New York's talking about what's happening in Florida and Florida's actually really happy with the way they are, they will label them as the worst people on the planet, right? George Floyd's um, riots around that demonstrated that they could be mostly peaceful protests. Oh, yeah. there's. Right? Where is it right now? They're having mostly peaceful protests again and uh, shit's being burned to the ground, so. Yeah, there's um, it's happening all over the world. It's Brazil, Chile, or Chile, however you pronounce it. Um, a lot in South America, but yeah, I think it, you're right. There would be an element of violence, but they would never ever advertise or record it in the history books as a civil war. It would be domestic or 
civil unrest that's been quashed out very quickly. I uh, I was listening to you and Ghost from My Third Eye talking about the Port Arthur Massacre. And a lot of things you were saying were so fascinating. Y'all should just go listen to that episode because I don't want to recap it here. But you were talking about Americans in um, like gun registries and how like in Australia, uh, when the, the laws changed, people were handing over unregistered firearms and you and ghost kind of got into it of, you know, I, I don't think most Americans would hand over unregistered items. Um, but then it makes me wonder at what point would America stand up and basically do a giant F you because the conservatives have, they're more likely to own a firearm, but they're also a lot less likely to use it unless they're directly threatened. Whereas a liberal is less likely to have it legally, but will Mm -hmm. burn a cop car because who they're sad that day. I don't know. Like, (laughs) yeah, it's kind of makes you happy that the firearm density in that demographic isn't high. Yeah. Yeah. Because then that, that is the, like, that would be what governments put out as a genuine concern that an armed populace would indiscriminately use its firearms for nefarious purposes. And if we saw the left in America, the extreme left have to put it using firearms, like they did bricks in a George Floyd situation, then yeah, that would be considered a civil war pretty much straight away. Do you think the left would ever do that though? Like, let's say the right, the conservatives got crazy enough to go, nope, I'm not putting up this anymore. And uh, all all hypothetical here, giant thought experiment. So FBI, don't get mad at me. Just a thought experiment. (laughs) Um, But like, let's say people were like, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. And they stood their ground, not necessarily uh, using the weapons, but just showing them, having them. Okay. Um, What do you think the left would do? Do you think they well, int- come back with guns or do you think... It, it's like- interesting because you're starting to see the left and Antifa actively arm themselves and you see these cute little pictures of them wearing their, their flak vests with no actual Kevlar in them because they're not puffed out enough. You can see there's no actual lining. They're wearing their tactical vests. They've got their pissy little AR-15 and they think they can go out and take the world on. They've probably got no firearm etiquette. They've got no understanding of how the firearm actually works under stressful purposes. But they think they do. Mm-hmm. And that is a genuine fear that if we had a, if you guys had a situation where your traditional people said, no, that's it. Say the example was the government's coming in to destroy a housing complex or take someone's farm because they want to run a pipeline through. Mm-hmm. And all the farmers get together. They stand in front of the line with their firearms, just waiting as that physical presence. If the media spun it in such a way that it was detrimental to the left-wing cause, maybe climate change, um, social justice. I wouldn't at all be surprised if the likes of Antifa or those extreme leftists go at our firearms and all it takes is one person to pop a round off and everyone's going to start. Yep. Yep. And that could be a instigator, a planted person. Oh, yeah. Very easily. And, of course, the media would only get the footage of the conservatives armed to the teeth firing on a crowd of innocent, quote-unquote, so, people. Innocent yeah. social yeah. justice warriors. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Oh man. I, and to be clear, I never want it to come to this. Um, I, but it's unfortunate. I think it's going, it's inevitably going to happen because you cannot have two people who have two different, very different perspectives of the world living in the same space. Well, hang on, because I'm going to disagree with you to an extent. You can have people who have wildly different views existing in the same space. Where that doesn't work is when one of those people don't respect the other. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah. Because, you know, let's say you were a complete vegan and I was a complete carnivore. We could coexist as long as we respected each other. Yes, when when one group's views do not respect or even acknowledge the other person's existence. And yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you see that in a particular side at the moment. <laughs> you do, you do. And what I find interesting, though, is uh, some conservatives or right-leaning or whatever label you want to use, they do the same thing as what they get mad at the left for. Mm-hmm. They you know, claim that the left is intolerant and this, that, and the other. Um, But I've seen it happen in Telegram chats where it comes out that someone who's conservative, like you, was coerced into getting this vaccine. And it's, oh, well, you're not a real conservative and you're this and you're that. There's name calling and um, it just, it becomes why. Like, you're acting just like the people that you say that you hate and you vilify them for that, but then you turn around and do the exact same thing. Yeah. It's almost like this. I think people forget very quickly that, and it applies to anyone. I don't care what side of the political spectrum you fall on or what your life, who you are as a person, your lived experience is very different from anyone else's. Unless Mm -hmm. you've lived that person's experiences, you can say things, but you have no idea what's driven someone's decisions or their reason behind doing things yeah so when it's a situation like you said vaccines there is that small element where oh i can't believe you got vaccinated you're going to die an extremely horrible death they laugh about it but hey we're on the same team still like yeah i was coerced into getting it i absolutely i was protesting i was vaccinated and i was still protesting against the vaccines right and I think Charlie Robinson puts this in a really good um, frame space to think about that for the unvaccinated, I don't think there's going to be a, a let up at all where they're going to stop the vaccination push. I think that's only going to get bigger over the next 10 years, um, five years, however long it is, they may roll out brand new viruses, brand new strains, whatever. You're going to need, as the unvaccinated community, the coerced as your allies. Because we're certainly not going back for any more. Right. We're, we're jabbed. We didn't want it. We're on your side. And hell, I'll, I'll fight tooth and nail to make sure that you never have to go through what I went through. And that right there is, I feel like, the piece that a lot of people don't realize. And they just pass this automatic judgment. This isn't, you know, the unvaccinated against the vaccinated or the partially vaccinated or whatever. No, this is people who respect freedom of choice and people who don't. Insert choice here, whatever choice you want to insert, you know, take the the vaccine word off the table for a second. Yeah, Yeah, it could be anything. It can be um, 
like you said, vegans before. As soon as you mentioned vegan, some people on the right go, oh, yeah, you're one of those people. They put you in a different camp. Um, yeah. The, like, uh, the homosexual community, as long as you're doing things with consenting adults behind closed doors and kids aren't involved, go for it. Like, that's your choice. That's your personal freedoms. Yep. As soon as you pick one small thing about a person and you put them into a camp, like Camp A yep. or Camp B, that's the issue. I completely agree. And these labels, it's human nature to want to label and fit people in boxes, but that's also our downfall because if things don't fit in this neat little box, we get mad and because they don't fit in this neat little box. So if someone happens to be a, and I'm going to make something up here, a lesbian who's conservative, um, but is also Catholic and vegan people are going to lose their freaking minds <laughs> because I just mashed a bunch of things together and you don't know what box to put them in. Yeah. The reality of the world is everyone's some form of a Venn diagram, aren't they? There's overlap into everything. Yes. Yes. And those places where we overlap or where we can find commonalities and this common ground But the places that we don't are what make us different. And those differences allow us to have these experiences and, to your point, shape who we are. It'd be really boring if we were all the same. Exactly. Cookie cutter approach doesn't work. No. Definitely not. And, you know, I've said this before. I didn't didn't understand informed consent until 2020. Um, Did not understand it. And thought... For the most part, doctors were good and yeah, they sure they made this mistakes. They were human, but um, the mistake rate was really, really low. I was clearly naive um, and, sense, and now know better, but do, do doctors in Australia do like, do they do the Hippocratic Oath or anything? They do. Yeah. Um, which made it very interesting when that was that Therapeutic Goods Association guidelines for vaccination has to be free of coercion we had same as the states we had a few little doctors out there who were writing up exemptions and giving them to people those exemptions were promptly pulled away from people the doctors were shut down but the same thing in australia more so than the u.s i think our like regulatory capture is higher than the states our funding from the government is very low into these governing bodies and the funding they get is predominantly from your big pharmaceuticals so it's a capture there already. Like there's no, there's a bias there. A company that's, or a, a goods administration that's completely reliant on its funding from the people who are giving you the thing they want to put in people's arms, that's an issue there already. Did Australia have paper cards or were they digital? All digital. So ours, you have to go onto your, my gov website, which is your own little government portal, which is very 1984. And you now have a history of all your vaccinations on there. That's convenient. So it wasn't a case of I'm going to go get a fake one made because anything, even if you've got a fake digital certificate, which I know they were going around, like five, six grand a pop, of course, those, if they'll run through a government filter, could be found out to be false very quickly which would be federal fraud and all the things that go along with that. 
I know people who were either selling the fake cards and or buying them. And I was like, this is bad news. Like if you get caught with one, especially if you're selling them, like that's, that's fraud. And, um, there were a couple people, not that I knew, but I'd heard in the news, if they ended up going to jail and I think it was like federal prison because of, and I'm just like, that's not worth it to me. Like, no, they, um, they did the same here. They used few scapegoats or put people in the limelight to kind of deter people from it where there was like 20 to 30 year sentences for, for obtaining these or selling these and distributing these as well. So like, okay, then you have to weigh up, right, I'm not vaccinated, but I'm going to spend the rest of my real adult life and my prime years in a federal prison. Like, is that living? It was, yeah, it was a, a minefield to navigate the past three years. That's for sure. That I feel like that would be an understatement. Because <laughs> <laughs> even like you said, when you thought you had an out, like going to your father-in-law's ranch, um, nope, that's taken away too. Like it, you, you think you find a way and then it explodes underneath you. And the interesting thing is that like I had my first one, air quotes had my second one, which they threw in the bin. Thank God. I worked after that point face-to-face with kids, kids who supposedly had COVID all the time around other staff who had COVID. I've never caught it, not had it once. Did you guys have the mask mandates too? This was interesting. We were mandated to wear masks except when we were teaching. And I just classified any interaction I had as teaching, so I refused to wear a mask. I Um, I need you to elaborate on that, please. So generally, overall, we had mask mandates when out in public. Yeah. Or going into shops and things like that. Within a school, teachers were mandated to wear masks when they were not teaching. So when Why? you leave the classroom, oh, because, you know, you might catch it on the way down to the staff room. No, no, um, no but, but why didn't you have to wear it while teaching? Because children had to see our mouths as we speak. Whereas in America, I know it's the opposite. You guys just masked up all the time for teachers. So, but the the worst part about that is we didn't have to wear masks as teachers, but any child in years three and above had to wear a mask in the classrooms at all times at one point. And year three would be like, what, eight years old? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So kids from that age upwards were deemed at risk of COVID, had to wear a mask. I didn't have to as a teacher. Other teachers didn't have to if they didn't want to, but they did. And then kids who are below the age uh, below the age of eight didn't have to wear a mask. So this COVID thing is really selective as to who it goes after and who it finds. Clearly, because I know uh, in my, in, from what I've seen, third graders probably wash their hands better than kindergartners, but all right. Uh, no, but yeah, in the US, they were trying to put masks on two and up, like kids yeah, in daycare nuts. and shit. And like, I was horrified horrified um and there was a lot of speech delays now because kids to your point weren't seeing the mouth move they didn't know what people were saying they didn't know how to move the lips they didn't know how to articulate and um like you when it first first came out you know march and they're making all these claims um, because of my background, and my husband's background, we're like, oh, masks are necessary. But we were talking N95s mm-hmm. when it was like, oh, anything is will work. We're like, that, that that's not science. That's not how this works. That's not our training. No. 
And I remember I had a friend, um, we differ very much on a lot of things. And she was like, let's say it was a Friday. And she goes, oh yeah, Monday, I don't have to wear a mask because they're taking down the mask mandate. And I was like, or no, because it was the next day. So let's say it was Thursday and they were taking down the mask mandate the next day. And I was like, so what's the difference between now and 12 hours from now? Yeah. It's oh, just- well, well, you know, it, it, and she just didn't have an answer. And I'm like, but government officials were the same way. It was like when our gov- our government premier would have his little press conference where he announced changes, right? And it got to the point where we had curfews. You couldn't leave the house yep. after 9 p.m. And people asked him, is the virus out at 9 p.m.? Is it more prevalent in the dark? Does the cold make it more? Oh, no, because people want to gather outside of that time. Not really. And then it was you couldn't go on beaches. <laughs> um <laughs> You couldn't be out in the open. And no evidence was actually there for it. And a lot of prominent people were questioning these, these mandates, to which today we have found out we actually had no evidence behind it. For the longest time in these press conferences, these wonderful politicians were saying, we're hearing from the experts. Our advice is this is what we need to do. This is what the research tells us. Well, now we know there was no one advising them, there was no data, and there was no research. So why aren't these people being held accountable for shutting the world down for three years? Oh, no, people were advising them. It just, it wasn't medical experts. Let's be clear Yeah, exactly. That. <laughs> that was other politicians. Yeah. yeah. They were being advised, just not by medical experts. This just, I don't know. So yeah, anyway, to go back, I found it very, very interesting that all the people that were extremely juiced up compared to me all caught COVID multiple times within a year and I still haven't had it. Yeah. And and I've noticed the same thing, you know, um, the people who've gone back for third, fourth, fifth, sixth boosters, uh, the CDC just released a thing that we're going to need annual ones, just like the flu shot. Um, Meanwhile, the UK is dropping them completely. Like, for anyone under the age of 50. So you have to question what the American, I think that's a permanent target to get the uptake higher in the States in the hopes that there'll be holdouts that will just go, oh, no one's really sick. Let's just go get one. It, uh, it turns into this giant guessing game, just like the flu shot. And absolutely. It's, I remember learning about how they, pick the strains for the flu shot in grad school and going that sounds bananas but i was so indoctrinated that i was like okay like supposedly okay so this is a story i was told that because when it's summer for us it's winter for you Mm -hmm. so what they do is they look at the flu that's happening in australia in the winter for you guys so summer for us They look at it, track it, and it always started with Australia. So apparently you guys just never had flu vaccines in this story. Um, (laughs) I swear (laughs) to God, this is what I was told. You guys, they studied it, found out what was most prevalent, grew those viruses and eggs for the most part because that was the best way to do it. Um, And then by the time, you know, September, October rolled around in the States, that's when, you know, so six, seven months later, the vaccines were ready based on data in Australia. And, but it was a guessing game because they only would only choose like three strains. And that's how they developed a flu shot. 
And yeah, that's what, what I was I've always told. been told. Yep, I've been told the exact same thing. Okay, so how do wait? Okay, so if that's what you're told, how does Australia get their data then? Like, are you looking at the US then? We're told it comes from your data. Whatever's in the northern hemisphere, we take theirs. But then it becomes like an inverted type of circle of who's starting and who's not. So it doesn't make sense at all. And even if that was the actual way we do it, you're still taking a wild stab in the dark that those strains will still be the same strains by the time it reaches the American shore. Yes, seven months later. Okay. I always wondered what Australians were told. This boggles my mind. We're all idiots. Like, I can't believe I fell for that. Like what? Well, it's it's me- it's a medical school in the medical industry, isn't it? That's what you would consider, like as a normal person, fresh-eyed kid going into it. This is the pinnacle of academia. This is where the most knowledgeable people are. Of course, what they're telling me is accurate and true. Yeah. Until you find out it's based on Rockefeller medicine, and there's terrain theory that goes alongside germ theory, and nothing under the sun is is set in stone. Like, and then you go into specialized fields like certain doctors only working on one part of the body and not actually knowing what the rest of the body does and how that can affect it. There's no holistic approach to medicine anymore. No. And that is, uh, I think that's why part of the reason so many people are sick. I remember I was on this one medication. I'd been on it for years. And apparently if you're on this one specific type of medication, you're supposed to be getting certain blood tests and you can only be on it for like a year or two. And I had seen I want to say it was like almost like a chiropractor or something or like a urgent care doc or it wasn't my standard doctor in any way, shape or form. And they're like, oh, why are you on this? And I explained it and they're like, and how long have you been on it? And I told them, they're like, have you ever been, had these blood levels tested? And I'm like, well, no. And they're like, well, don't you, I want to say it was, a, um, what's an, what's an endocrine doctor, an endocrinologist. He's like, don't you have an endocrinologist? I was like, no. And they're like, you should probably get these checked because it can actually affect your fertility and your kidneys. And I was like, I'd been on it for like seven years and no one ever told me. The, like I said, the lack of informed consent or even just doctors knowing instead of simply regurgitating Mm -hmm. is astounding. And I think it's, it's more prevalent in the American and the New Zealand system because of the way you're your drug advisory system works that doctors in America can prescribe something and know there's potential side effects and they just wait for those side effects to pop up to prescribe something else. Like, I, I, oh, yeah, your blood levels are going to go through the roof, so we're going to actually have to bring that down with another drug so you can take this now instead of addressing what the core issue is. So how does it work in Australia? We don't have a... Like in America, how it's the crazy ads all the time where you yeah. can see take yeah, yeah. sidereal that will slow yeah, your yeah. blood pressure but will cause your legs to fall off and your heart to be blown. Yeah, yeah. So we don't we we don't have those. Um, for the most part, I, Australian doctors are pretty good in the fact that they will they will sit down and this is my lived experience, of course. Mm-hmm. They will go through every possible side effect. Um, if this happens, you might need to take this. Are you comfortable with that? They're, they're upfront about it. The impression I get from the states is that they wait for the reaction solution thing to happen. Like yeah. what you said, you had, you had no idea what was going to happen with you. Whereas in Australia, the doctors that I've encountered and I've been around, my mother-in-law was a GP, fantastic woman. They know, they know their stuff and they're pretty upfront with you. That does not happen in the US. 
And if you do get a side effect from something and you go and say, hey, I think I'm having a side effect to this because it only started after I I took this medication, they will look at you and tell you that you're crazy. (laughs) That is what happens. And I think the difference also in Australia is we may have regulatory capture at a top governing level, but there's laws in place that prevent doctors from actually receiving funding and payment payouts from um, drug companies, where in the States, I know that's that's prevalent. They yeah, come in and they say, would you like to push this heart medication from our company? If you push this heart medication, we'll give you $60 per time you, like, you give it to a patient. Yeah, Whereas in Australia, yeah. that's heavily regulated. In the US, there's a... I forget the website right now. It's like open payments or something. And you're supposed to be able to type in a doctor's name and see where they get any funding from. However, it's a year and a half backlog. So they probably are only presenting data right now from the end of 2021, I'm guessing, or so. Um, Yeah, this, the fact that you're like the doctor sits down and tells you the side effects, my face was like, that has never happened to me in my entire life. And in fact, when I go and I present them with side effects, because I'll like look it up on my phone while I'm there, they have the audacity to tell me, no, that can't happen. It's not all good though. Recently, I had a a GP appointment where I got a piece of metal stuck in my finger when I was working in my car. And -hmm. I didn't realize it was in there. I was healed over. And I only found it was in there because I was teaching a lesson with magnets in art. And I noticed the, the magnet stuck to my finger. I went, oh, okay, that would explain things. I went to my GP and the GP actively typed into Google how to extract this metal splinter. And I thought, hmm, oh, maybe this shit. is the doctor I should be talking to. <laughs> to which point I later went home with a Stanley knife and tried to cut it out myself, found out it was too deep and had to kind of glue it back together. And they're having to go to a specialist anyway. But the fact it does happen, there's bad doctors everywhere. Don't get me wrong. But I think on the whole, Australian doctors are quite good at what they do in comparison to the the American system, which your medical system isn't based entirely on making money. Ours is a social socialised medical system. For better or for worse, we our doctors don't have the temptation of financial gain from their profession like your guys do. So do you guys have long waits like Canada does for your healthcare? Uh, yeah, I had to get an ACL repair on my knee. Um, and that took like 18 months to get in for that. Like the, to be fair, the, the cancer treatments and all those types of things, those are pretty prompt and they're done quite quickly, but stuff that's not considered life threatening or massive issue that can take a long time. And the wait times are just getting more and more now, which it's, it's compounding with the shortage of doctors and nurses and paramedics and, why is there a shortage, do you think? I know why in the US, but why is there a shortage in Australia? If everyone's mandated to take it, it can't be the vaccine, right? Well, I would suggest that they lost in, like, it was already a industry where there were shortages anyway. Okay. Um, same with teaching in, my, in Australia. We've got a shortage of teachers. You throw a mandate in on top of that, so you get people who leave the profession because they're mandated, you have people who are coerced and mandated later on go, you know what, I hate the way I was treated, stuff that I'm going to leave now anyway. It's kind of steamrolls into or snowballs into this system of the people who are trained and educated in it have a loathing for the, the system that they're in. 
So are things still mandated? Like are boosters mandated? Uh, they dropped the booster mandates. So I had my first shot, had air quotes, had my second shot. Um, later on was mandated for a booster, which I wasn't going to do. And then, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound, I've already had one. There wasn't any major side effects. Roll the dice again, I suppose. And then within three or four months after that, they dropped all vaccine mandates entirely. And all the teachers who, through sheer will and who I really respect, who were able to hold out, they could go back to work now. But a lot of them aren't going back to work because of the way they were treated, which I did not blame them in any way. Yeah. So majority, yeah. the only mandates still in effect are in uh, medical and uh, aged care. I think that's really similar in the U.S. too. However, so if you're a nurse hired by a hospital or a doctor hired by the hospital, from my understanding, there's a mandate. But if you're considered a travel nurse where you're employed by an agency and not the hospital, the mandates don't apply. Oh, interesting. It's um, I noticed something that's different between the U.S. and Australia that our federal level employees were never mandated. Their job was so important, they didn't need a mandate. So the defence force, federal police, politicians at a federal level, anyone who works in their offices didn't need to have it. So any federal government employees were not required. It was only at state level. Whereas what I see in America, your military was mandated. Your federal politicians were mandated, which kind of seems counterintuitive if there is something nefarious about it. Fair. Like you'd want those, you want those control mechanisms in place, wouldn't you? Whereas Australia's the general population is heavily vaccinated with the control, control structures are unjabbed, which seems like a perfect scenario if it was a, something really nefarious. Yeah. Yeah, I know um, the, the military was a lot of people tried to hold out. It recently got reversed for at least a couple of the branches. Um, yeah, I think the Marines got reversed, didn't they? I think it was them in the Air Force, I think it was. Um, yep. not, not entirely sure. But federal employees, it was my understanding, were able to get uh, religious exemptions quite easily depending upon um, what branch they were in. But state, it was really hard and they mandated it. And uh, I got married last February. So I was trying to change my last name. And I don't even think I can still go into like the social security office and get a social security card. Like I can't go in person. I don't know how I'm going to go to the DMV and change my license because you're, jo- you're, you're joking. You can't go in because you're not vaccinated. No, no, no. So you have to wear a mask. Ah, uh, right. And so I explain why I can't. I produce doctor's letters and everything mm-hmm. else and they won't let me in. But at this, this is the thing that really surprised me and it really frustrates me. And I know that there's people out there who are immunocompromised, people who are genuinely scared, I get that. But you still see people pushing the mask masks under their own private company policy because the mask mandates don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And you still people see people willingly wearing them. And this far into the game, if you haven't had COVID or if you had had COVID and it didn't really do anything to you, why are you continuing to go down that? that whole show and dog and pony acts. Like, I don't get it. It, it has to be virtue signaling. Cause I've talked about this with people. It has to be virtue signaling of a physical way of showing off how great of a rule follower they are. 
and how much better they are. It's the only thing I can think of. That, and I think, and it's very noticeable, it's the boomer generation that are the ones who are wearing the masks the most. Remind me Especially again, the age Australia. of boomers? Uh, oh. So um, 60s upwards. So, so po- post-war um, generation children. Okay. So yeah. in the US, I would agree it's the a lot of that, but then like call it 16 to mid 20s, whatever age group that is. Um, they're very much into still wearing masks and things like that. I, I noticed that, but I'm noticing it very much with the, and I hate to pigeonhole people again, but I'm seeing it in that certain demographic what you would associate with the left. Yeah. Um, especially with kids who are high-functioning autism, kids who might be uh, gender or neurodivergent, as they like yep. to label themselves. Yep. I think for a lot of those autistic kids, we've taught them to wear a mask as a, a way to cover who they are. It's not anything to do with their own health. No. It's a comfort thing for them now. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that 100%. I would agree with that because then they they don't have to then worry about their facial expressions or lack thereof. Yeah, or social interactions. Who's going to interact with you when you're wearing a mask? No one's going to come talk to you. Right. Man. Listen, I don't know how, I know it's going to get better. I, I don't quite know how, you know, I, I'm not in any way, nor are you advocating for any type of violence. Um, we're just pointing out trends that we see and hoping that we're wrong. I want to be wrong. Um, I'm sure you want to be wrong as well. But I want to thank you for coming on and chatting with me. Um, please plug your podcast and any, anywhere that you want people to come and find you. Yeah, sure. Um, Drew Missing from your Missing the Point podcast. You can find me on all the usual podcatchers. I'm on Instagram as Missing the Point. Um, I'll shoot through all some links for you guys, possibly the show notes if that's okay. Yeah, I'm also one of the co-hosts of Conspiracy Theatre 3000. Uh, We just put out our first two episodes where Andy Rouse, Maura Bob and myself break down um, Hollywood classics for hidden symbolism and conspiracy stuff. And I'm also on a educational podcast called the homeroom educating educators with my lovely co-host kaylee where we try to help families navigate the government private school system um homeschooling and just help their kids in general with education because it's a bit of a minefield at the moment and it can be very overwhelming for people who don't know what's actually going on inside of it quick question before we sign off can you homeschool in australia you can yes okay okay i know Pretty some reg- countries you can't so Pretty, pretty regulated. You still have to follow the state curriculum and prove that you're teaching it. Um, yeah, we, we do offer it, but it's nowhere near to the levels of the states. I think the okay. last time I looked, America had 17 million children in homeschool, which is nearly bigger than the population of Australia. Like we're sit, we sit somewhere at 25, 26 million people, and you've nearly got more kids in homeschool than we've got people in our entire country. So I think oh, that's wow. fantastic for you guys. You're getting somewhere. Awesome. Well, Thank you, Drew, again for joining me and thank you all for listening and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful night.